This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. We brought you another A-list guest, Mr. Taylor Young from Urban Young. And if you heard the last episode with Rod, I don't know. This guy said this one's going to be better. I, you know, I'm not sure. And Rod is such a humble guy. He told us it was going to be better before he left. So we'll see. What's up, Taylor? That's a lot of pressure, man. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> You're a guy who's used to having pressure, man. You're the guy that wants the ball at the end of the game, right? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Sure. So before we get cranked up, why don't you sort of give everybody your backstory, how you got involved with where you're at and all of that, and then we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, man. Cliff Notes. Um, growing up, just just uh, went to UCF, played basketball my whole life, man. So that's what I thought I was going to do professionally until I realized I wasn't. And I realized I wasn't <laughs> pretty quick, man. I showed up freshman year at UCF and played one game of pickup and said, you know what, I should probably go to class and study hall and 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 you know, it's, it's going to end at some point. And, uh, so up into that, man, I was getting into my senior year and, and really didn't know what I was going to do. My brother was at another agency, uh, full-time commission only producer doing mostly personal lines. And I'd kind of watched him progress and he was about a little over a year in and I just didn't know what I was going to do, man. Figured I'd do something in sales. That's what every athlete comes out saying is, I don't know what I'd be good at. I, th- I think I'd be good at sales. Right. And then my dad going into my senior year was like, Hey, reminder, you have to get a job on <laughs> graduation. And I remember thinking, damn, okay, I, I do have to do something. It's coming to an end. And about halfway through my senior year, um, it started to get real serious. Um, Brett was making a transition um, from the agency he was currently at. Um, just something that didn't work out, uh, just based over a principal, uh, you know, uh, on their side, he felt like he had to do something different. And then, uh, he had this crazy idea. Said, "Hey, what if we did this together?" And the three of us got together. The three of us, Brett um, and Rod, my, my two partners, and um, you know, Brett took me out for a Chipotle burrito, courted me, and said, "What do you think?" And I said, "I said, dude, I have nothing else going on." And and where did he, you- did he let you get guac? You know, I don't. I don't think so. You know, I, I, no, I was, it's extra, he was, right? He, yeah, I mean, this was early on, man. Guac's I don't even know if he paid. When... I don't even know if he paid, man. Honestly, oh, we might have split the bill. Both That's broke awesome. at that time. So, 
Um, Isn't that yeah. a stressful realization though? When dad tells you like, you got to get a job and you're like, Oh shit, I do have to get a job. And I have <laughs> yeah. no idea what I'm going to do. This, yeah. I remember that. I remember when that happened to me, I was like, Oh, damn. like, you know, it's coming, right? You know, it's coming. No, it's coming, but it still doesn't, it still doesn't help. Like it's just, it, when it hits you, it hits you and you're like, Oh man, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know what skills I had, Kyle. Like I really didn't. Right. I, I just, I'd played basketball my whole life. I had treated it like it was my career Same. and my profession. And it was just something to where obviously I knew I had some stuff intangibly. I could talk to people. I could continue to show up for stuff. And I had a work ethic of some kind, but, but going into the, you know, the work force, I just kind of was curious at like, what does that look like? Like, what do people do? And so I, mm -hmm. I did have a decent amount of insecurity uh, around my lack of experience professionally. And so when we jumped in, I was 23 years old when we started the agency and really for those first year, I mean, I, I struggled with imposter syndrome to say, hey, I'm trying to talk to people about the insurance. I'm a business owner. I'm 23. I just got off my parents' insurance, um, for <laughs> yeah. God's sake, right? right. I, I'm living in their house and 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 uh, and we're scratching and clawing. So yeah, good, good point there. I, I, I definitely struggled with that. I will never forget the way that conversation went down in the house I grew up in. It wasn't ever going to be a problem for me because I, I had a job since the time I was old enough to work. Took a little bit of a break and enjoyed college. You know, I felt like enjoying college was a full time job and I made it such. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll never forget sitting at the dinner table one night and my brother and his best friend were um, were sitting there. And my dad looked at my brother and his friend and says, guys, have any idea what you want to do when you get older? Like any kind of a job, any career aspirations? And they're seniors in high school. And they just sort of looked at each other. My dad keeps going. Because I don't want to be the guy to be the bearer of bad news, but there's already one Beavis and Butthead out there. So we don't need another one. <laughs> <laughs> because literally that's when Beavis and Butthead was at its height. And they just, that's all they did was walk around all day regurgitating Beavis and Butthead oh, stuff. So yeah, it's just insane. <laughs> nice. It's like looking at them and, and, and it's like almost like, oh, I, I, I guess we do need to think about this, right? Which is, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how we end up falling into where we, where we land. But my brother actually ended up getting a job shortly after that rolling silverware at a restaurant. And now he's like a <laughs> senior VP for Hattie's, um, Hattie B's hot chicken in Nashville, the, like this rapidly growing hmm. restaurant chain. He was with Payway before that and f famous Dave's barbecue before that. So he like literally his first job was in a restaurant. He never left. Like, and yeah, that's amazing. And then there's a guy like me where, you know, every time I talk to somebody, they're questioning whether or not I really do have as vast life experience as what I do. Cause I've done one of everything. You know, I, I'm more, I'm more than nomad. I'll try anything once I'll go anywhere on the drop of, you know, at the drop of a hat. Everybody should have to work in a restaurant. I know you've said that like, you know, everybody restaurant, should have to grocery, work in a grocery retail, store. Yeah, whatever. Like, they, they should. There's so many invaluable lessons that you learn doing that and just really learning how to deal with people. <laughs> like, cause that's when people are at their worst. When, when they are at a restaurant eating and something goes wrong. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Is, is there a time where people are out there work like besides that? I, I, I can't think of one. No, I know Carline right after Carline. <laughs> apparently that was the Dude, worst. I am going to be a menace yeah. in the car. My, my wife was an absolute animal when she came home from Carline yesterday. 
I was in the shower and she was screaming at me about the inefficiencies of the car line. And I'm, I like literally, I, I gave you the old pull the shower curtain, stick my head. I'm like, why are you screaming at me? What did I have to do with this? You know, and, and literally, and listen, man, if anybody ever wants to know why I have ever been able to get anything at all accomplished in my life, she is 100% the reason why. She is a massive, massive driver. And I hear her on the phone saying, put me through to her voicemail. And it was the principal of the school. She said, you have till 10 o'clock to call me back today with an answer as to what you're going to do about Carline or I'm calling downtown and then they'll deal with it. This was all over the fact that... <laughs> People were like checking their phones, kissing their kids, kids kissing like complete crap in the car line. Right. Say bye to your kids, you know, earlier than that. All yeah, right. Yeah. And get them out. And, and our kids got marked tardy. And my wife was sitting in car line for 10 minutes and she wasn't having any any of it because Caroline's so freaking sensitive, man. You would think that somebody's going to saw her right arm off if she's tardy, tardy. She just she can't handle it. So Jeez. anyhow, I digress. So listen, man, you play basketball your entire life. You were at, you were at um, UCF. And it's funny that you say that like you played pickup and realized pretty quick. I remember when I showed up to play for, for the first baseball practice of my college career. I came in, I had the bat bag, I was styling and profiling, I had all my gear, everything, and I go up to the cage and I put it down and the coach looks at me and goes, what's all that? I said, it's my, <laughs> it's my gear. And he goes, only gear you need is running shoes for the fall season. Oh, I love it. Hit the stairs. And for two hours up and down the stairs in the Coliseum nonstop because I was a pitcher and we needed to have strong legs. And I'm a guy that has a propensity to skip leg day. I'll just go ahead and throw that out there. So like leg day is the worst. Me and you both, yeah. man. Yeah. So here I am now, you know, thinking I went from being a guy that was pretty well respected and known where mm -hmm. I was to running stairs for practice these days. Yep. So I, the, the realization of that, I played basketball as well. And where, where that really, I always knew, like, I mean, I'm, I'm five ten, five eleven, like whatever you know, and I was super skinny still am, but I, I, I was, I was decent in high school. I made the, the County all-star game. And then we played Pinellas versus Hillsborough. And when I got to that, you go to game, high school, Kyle East Lake in, okay, uh, yeah. in, in Tarpon Springs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you guys are about the same age. Okay, I'm. You said you're 34. Yeah, yeah. So, so am I. So, um, yeah, dude. The Pinellas versus Hillsborough game. I get on the court like out. We played out in Lakeland, and I'm like, all right. So this is where it ends <laughs> because I've <laughs> yeah. got no chance. Well, I can tell you when I played ball down here in high school, the rite of passage was that you went to Bobby Pascal's basketball camp at the University of South Florida. And that's when I realized that my basketball career was going to be relatively short lived because <laughs> yeah. my problem is I'm a tweener, man. I'm six, four. I wasn't tall enough to be on the post if I went any further and I wasn't fast enough to be a wing or, a, mm. or, or anything. And, the, and honestly, my handle sucked. I mean, I'm Jimmy Chitwood, bro. I'll post up over in the corner. You flip, you dish it off to me. I'll make it rain, but that's about it. Kyle still doesn't believe that. And I'm going to take a lot of money from him one day when I prove him wrong, but um, I, I will never forget just going into the basketball camp, walking into the sun dome and kind of, it was kind of like Hoosiers when they walk yeah. into the, into Indianapolis for that championship game. And I'm looking up and the next thing I know, I watched this dude named Lester hunt. I don't know if he's still alive, but he played for Mulberry and he took some dude's shot and threw it about 20 rows up in the stands. And I'm like, 
so this, yeah i gotta play this guy later like this the, is other, who I'm that moment, be man. the other is the other moment that i kind of forgot of that actually happened before that that really might have been the true moment is at usf uh team camp and we played on the center court versus um what you'll know i i can't remember what school they went to but nick calathis and chandler yeah, parsons yeah. were on the same Lake team. yeah yeah Lake cal right so we played them. Oh my god! Yeah, they're they're one of the best teams really ever out of Florida. Almost man. ever, had... dude. They and they dusted us, and it was yeah. just like, okay, this is going to be a, a, it'll be a fun senior season, but we're done. Yeah, no so, doubt, man. True story. A year later, after that basketball camp experience, is when we moved from Tampa up to West Virginia for the remainder of my high school career. And the other humbling experience was when I got to play against Randy Moss Randy and Moss, Jason yeah. Williams. Ooh, yeah. that's incredible. <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> it's I would love to see that duo. I mean, I don't know if I'd love to play against them, but I'd love, no, to, it's crazy. love to watch that. So here's the question, man. You were a point guard. You yep. ran the floor when you were, when you uh, played ball. I know Kyle was too. Mm-hmm. Um, how'd that prepare you for what you're doing now? I mean, there's got to be some level of leadership ability involved in having that role. How have you translated some of the skill set you learned by being involved in organized athletics to what you do every day to motivate a team to go out and and, and produce insurance? And that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever thought about that directly. I mean, I think the obvious answer goes to, you know, making those around you better. And I think that may be a bit cliche. I mean, I think that's kind of understood about that position or team sports is right. You know that you're only going to go as far as your team. And so your individual, you know, performance is important, but ultimately, you know, your team's collective performance is what gets the W at the end. So I think that would be my cliche answer, but, you know, I don't know. I think, I think athletics prepared me where I was just, I was always just had a chip on my shoulder. I was always one of those people that, felt like I had to prove that I belonged and, and, and you know, that, that, uh, you know, I should be here. I mean, specifically when I went to UCF, I, I walked on at a preferred walk on spot and I had division one scholarship offers, but wanted to stay home. And I ended up earning, earning a scholarship for a short period and, and had a good career, you know, started a few years and um, I was happy with it, but I really had no business doing that. I mean, there were guys that I came in with, you know, so much more athletic, better, highly touted, would get more attention. You know, I was the guy that, you know, no one really is like, oh, is Taylor going to study hall? No one cares. You know, like Taylor, <laughs> Taylor's barely here. So um, I don't know. I always took pride in that. And I always took pride in, you know, overachieving and, and just showing up longer. And I think that translated well to the insurance business that translated well to, you know, my, my early phases and continue phases in entrepreneurship um, is just the mentality of just keep breathing. And that, you know, if you outlast people that ultimately there's an opportunity at the end of that to contribute. Um, And for me, you know, in, in sports, that was earning a spot that was earning a starting job uh, that was contributing and having quality playing time. Um, And I think in the business world um, that, that outlasting mentality has been something that I've probably taken for granted because that's always been with me. Um, but that's the way I look at this business. That's the way we, you know, I've looked at it. And I think we've looked at it as partners since the beginning. It's just that we're, you know, we're going to outlast people. And, and when I say people, whatever that enemy is or whatever that made up, uh, you know, thing is in our head that we're competing against, maybe it's ourselves, maybe it's our former selves. Um, but you know, we had a moment yesterday, just, just kind of reminded ourselves, we had a mentality, just keep breathing, man, just keep showing up. And, uh, so I think that directly probably prepared me a little bit. 
I think, you know, you brought something up and I hadn't really thought about this before until I just heard you say it, but you went, when you play sports growing up, especially the further that you, you progress, I mean, it's one thing when you play little league, your parents pay for you to play, you're going to play. When you get to high school, you have to make the team. Right. And, you know, if I, if somebody were to ask me that similar question, I think that one of my responses probably would be that I learned I had to earn my spot at the table. I learned, I learned that I had to actually put my best effort forward in order to get, to get hired. Right. I mean, in high school, getting hired means you get a spot, you know, on the basketball team, baseball team, football team, whatever. And then obviously getting hired in the business world means we go out and we get hired. But, you know, I don't think that I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't think everybody deserves a damn trophy. Okay. I think that's a big problem that we have with our, with our society and people are too soft. Okay. If you don't, if you have a problem with that, that's fine. You're welcome to email me and tell me what your problem is. I'm not going to agree with you. I just think that we have not held people accountable to provide their best because we just give them the reward, whether they earn it or not. That's a problem Mm -hmm. for me. And so it always will hurt be. everybody's feelings and, and all that sort of right. thing. Right. And and so I think that, you know, knowing that you're getting ready, that you have a defined period of time to showcase your skills at the best level you can in an effort to hope that they're good enough for you to take the next step. When you start doing that, trying out for school teams in junior high you get real thick skin by the time you get to be in your early twenties, thirties, whatever else, because mm-hmm. you've thrown it all out there before. I think there's a lot of people in the business world and even people who are producers who've never had to go through that. They've never, they've never gone that week where every day you're going and looking at the list on the door to see if your name right. is one of the ones that's been taken off. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think to me, if anybody asked me, I, I would love to tell you it was that I had a great practice regimen and that my conditioning was second to none and my diet was on point. All of that was terrible, right? Every bit of it. I didn't, you know, if I would have put into my athletic career what I put into what I do now, I wouldn't be here. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I always enjoyed it, but it, it never really consumed me to the point where it became my life. But I do think that I, I am relatively fearless in anything that the insurance industry throws at me because I've already put myself out when I was the most vulnerable, when I had no life experience and all I could hope for was that my best was good enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, the vulnerable is a word you used that I was thinking of, right? You have the ability to put yourself out there and say, am I good enough? I'm going to compete on an even platform, whether it's a spot on the team, whether it's you're playing a game or whatever it may be. And I think your ability to deal with constant failure, like I have a platform that I like to talk to former athletes and it talks about the transition from, you know, that, that world to the professional world. And on the last episode, we talked about mental toughness and, and this gentleman made a direct link to mental toughness is your ability to deal with failure and then move forward. And I think that level of resiliency is something you kind of just get used to, right? Because you're constantly dealing with failure. There's just so many times because every time you go to the next level, you're natural, you get your ass kicked, right? There's always going to be somebody better. Yeah. Until you don't. So um, yeah, I think that's fun. And and I agree with you, the whole trophy thing. I mean, I I think it's a disservice to kids and, you know, there's, there's one thing about, you know, everyone getting a trophy and there's other things about, you know, supporting people along the way. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I think, you know, everyone doesn't have to get a trophy and I think you can support the collective, you know, while they're in the process. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting. 
So what's your platform, man? You danced around it. Give it a shameless plug. You never shameless know. You plug. Might we're, yeah, we're early on in it, and we run it on the, the Be Extraordinary podcast feed. Uh, it's called New Scoreboards. And so I think I've done five episodes, and uh, we've talked to basketball players, baseball players, just about you know what happens when you make that transition from, from you know sports to business and your identity and the habits that are transferable, the ones that you struggle with and all that, that good stuff. Are you finding commonalities between what people are saying or is it still too small of a sample size? Yeah. I mean, the number one thing is that it's a thing, right? Like there's a level of (laughs) borderline depression or identity crisis when you finish that at some level. Mm -hmm. And there's a searching and a longing for how will I fill this void? At least what I've picked up in a few conversations. That's something I've felt too. And and so for me, you know, jumping in at 23 into this business, it's kind of been my scoreboard, right? It's, It's kind of been something I've jumped into and tried to make as objective as possible um, and, and tried to make as much progress as possible within the confines of, of this business. Um, so interesting enough. Yeah. And there's a, a large number of ex athletes in the insurance industry as producers. Like it's, it's a preferred class for recruiters for sure. Yeah. 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 I, I love talking to people, you know, whether it's in the insurance business or not, it makes no difference. I just love talking to people about, you know, what, what they're doing and how they're transferring this stuff that the, all the questions you ask me, I like to ask, I'm curious enough to, I know everyone's not the same in how they handle that stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we, I was talking to a buddy the other day. He's like, man, I would just kill for a film session. I would just kill for somebody to tell me what I'm doing wrong, what I could do better and what we're going to do differently tomorrow to get this win. Right. And sometimes you don't have that level of mentorship or again, you don't make it objective enough to get that feedback immediately. You have long sales cycles. You're kind of in this subjective esoteric land of, I think I'm doing a good job. You know, I don't, I don't know. Right. So that, that, that coaching side is something that I, I've found that I've missed is I like to be coached hard and I like that immediate feedback. I like ending the game or the practice, knowing whether, you know, we won or lost and how mm-hmm. we can improve. You know, I think COVID changed the game for all of us a little bit in that regard that you just mentioned, because one of the things that we started doing here is recording those zoom meetings and then going back and watching what we did well, what we didn't do well. I mean, and I think that's kind of like that sort of innate trait that you have when you're always watching looking game at re- film, man. Yeah. Just reinventing yourself. Trying to that. Be- <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that it's, I think that if we play our cards right in the business that we're in now, we can make that happen because your clients are accustomed to it at this point. They're accustomed to, meeting over zoom or having video quotes or whatever else, you know, I I think it's interesting because I remember like going all the way back to even to, to when I first started in the industry, I always liked having more than one person on an appointment, not because I needed anybody else there for my own security. I wanted a spotter, man. I wanted somebody there that could tell me, you know, look here, you screwed You screwed the pooch here. You did a really good job with this. Your timing was a little off when you did this. And I don't think, I I think that if you're a professional, regardless of what it is, and you don't have those people that you can seek feedback from that are willing to give it to you honestly, accurately, and openly, then you're never going to maximize your full potential. The problem is many of us aren't even willing to ask the question. We don't want to hear what they have to say. 
And I think the industry itself, the insurance industry itself lends to that to a certain degree because you can be okay at your job and make really good money. You know, if your goal is, hey, I just, I want to make $150,000 a year. You can get a book to a half million, $600,000. Stay around what, long enough, right? Yeah. Depending on what your commission split is, you can make $150,000 a year. No mm-hmm. problem. And do as little as you possibly can to get there. I mean, it's just, I think that the, and you know what, if people want that by all means, if that's what makes them happy and that's the best version of them, let them go get it. That's just not how I'm wired, man. And I think that, that the blessing and the curse of the insurance industry is that you kind of are in a hundred percent control of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. And if you're the guy like me that went to college and hung out for eight years, you know, then it might take me a little longer to find my way. Right. But if you're disciplined and you're the guy that's used to getting up and, you know, running a couple of miles every morning before you go to class, then you go to class. And as soon as you get back, you study before practice, then you go to practice, you get cleaned up, you study some more after, and you're a regimented individual. You're going to, you're going to pass me real quick, right? Slow and steady is going to win the race. And I don't know that anybody's ever going to outlast me or work harder. I think there's plenty of people who will work as hard, but I'm not, I'm never going to admit there's somebody who works harder than I do. Um, but I just think that it, I think that the industry gives so much latitude for how we approach it that if you're average, you're going to be average unless somebody pushes you to be like as you guys say, be extraordinary. Yeah, man, I, I, that's a good point. I was listening to a podcast and it was unrelated. It was talking about health, but it was it was talking about the difference between forecasting and backcasting. And I was having a conversation with somebody about getting clarity on what you want out of this thing, right? You're coming to the industry, like, what do you want? What's that income level? What's that? What is that time? What do your days look like? Like, start there, right? Start with that vision and then backcast on what, how quick do you want to get there, right? And, and then ultimately break that down by, you know, what is your production level? What is your activity level? And you can kind of chunk that down back to where you are today. And I think, that difference, the difference between forecasting and looking ahead and saying, okay, well, what do my six months year look like? Well, that probably depends on what you want. That probably depends on how much you want. Um, so that's something that's really relevant to me right now is looking out even, even now, right? 11 years in to the business and saying, okay, what do you want five years from now? You know, let's, okay, that's that, that's that number. Perfect. Let's back cast and let's get busy doing that. Cause you can find yourself in this industry, especially after a certain amount of years, right? Getting comfortable. Let's call it like it is, right? When you're making a, a good enough income, you have good quality of life, you have time and you have that, that plateau that you hit a little bit if you allow yourself. Um, and I think that's what you're referencing, uh, that go at your own pace versus creating some sort of manufactured urgency. And that balance is something that I play around with in my mind all the time. Well, what you just described too is the difference between a goal and a plan. The forecast is the goal. The plan is when you backcast, as you call it, right? And you have to do that. It's one of the main reasons why when we when we bring producers into Killing Commercial, I want them to do a business plan because so many people don't ever do the second part. They, they, they figure out what they want to make or what kind of revenue you have to bring into the agency, but very rarely do people assign the footsteps that they need to take every single day to hit that goal. And in our industry, it's not that difficult, man. It really isn't. If you know you want to make $150,000 this year and you get 50% of new business commission and it's your first year, you just have to write $300,000 in revenue to make $150,000. Okay, good. Now what? Right? And that's where everybody stops. And we wait until a year or six months in when the person's not anywhere close to it 
And then we, as leaders, we want to throw a fit because they're not going to hit their number. Well, why didn't we have them identify and define the behaviors that they needed to have on a daily basis to push them to what they need to do every day, every week, every month, so they can hit that goal? This is not, it's just not that hard, man. If, you, if you're not getting enough people to set appointments with you, you're not making enough calls. Or you need to fine-tune your message and, and work on that. Or you need to do both. We don't look at behaviors nearly enough to ensure that people actually stay on track and hit their goals. And you can do that without micromanaging. Honestly, I could do it all day long just by looking at activity in HubSpot and pulling those reports and nobody would ever even know that I'm looking at them, right? So I think that's one thing that's that's interesting too is I think every baseball team probably goes to spring training thinking they're going to go to the World Series that year. Like that that's what they should be thinking. But then what do they have to do to get there? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it? Hey, let's knock off practice a little early and grab beers with the guys. Cause we don't, you know, we don't get here, get to this part of the country very often or whatever. Else. I don't know. Everybody's faced with temptations. It's the decision you make when you're faced with the opportunity to do the thing that's going to further your goal or further your progress towards your goal rather, or yeah, today I'm just going to go ahead and say, screw it and go do something else. And then it becomes easier and easier and easier. Next thing you know, you're at the driving range at noon and the 19th hole by three. There you go. I mean, there's something that uh, I read years ago. It's called the illusion of choice. You ever heard of Trevor Moad? He, he's since passed, rest in peace, but he's kind of linked with Russell Wilson and Alabama and Georgia. A lot of these big time uh, athletic programs is, as kind of a lack of a better term, mental coach. Um, and one thing he was talking to Vince Carter about at the end of his career he was talking about uh, the illusion of choice. And he was saying like, look, if you want this, right, David, you tell me I want to make a million dollars a year, or I want X or Y. Well, the illusion of choice is thinking that you can get that thing by doing all these other things. The reality is, is, is that's not how it works, right? If that's what you want and you're clear on what you want, then there are certain things that you need to do. So for Vince Carter to have that level of career, he can't go out drinking with the guys after, right? He has to take care of his body. He's no longer going to dunk every breakaway because he wants to have that tenure in his career. So these choices that start to not become choices, right? And it's the decision and the clarity based upon like, where is that arrival? What's that vision for yourself? And then it's kind of killing all the other choices that we make on a daily and weekly basis because... Because you no longer, if you say you want that, then, you know, it's the illusion of choice. And that, that really rings with me to hear kind of what you're talking about. I just learned Vince Carter finally retired. I wasn't sure if him and Juwan <laughs> Howard were just going to end up playing for the rest of their lives or what. The guy who yeah, hung man, around 20, forever. 21 season? Crazy. Definitely 20. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure he holds the record. I can't remember. It's 20 or 21. I know he for sure played 20. Well, I can tell you. Jawan Howard's not far behind him. Like he was in the league for a really long time too. He's still was. punching people on the sidelines, man. He's yeah, still winning. He's, yeah. He's uh he's interesting. Um I remember when Vince Carter first showed up on the scene, man, and it was kind of in that transition period. I and mean, it may even have been when Jordan went to play baseball for a couple of years or a year. But I don't remember. I just remember I was in college or shortly after college. And he was like, everybody's like, you got to see this guy's freaking hops. The dude can jump out of the gym. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody jumps like Vince Carter. And I remember seeing the first time, like, holy crap, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, crazy. I remember hearing stories of him jumping um, and grabbing a quarter off the top of the backboard up at Rucker. And I was just yeah. like, okay, that's absurd. 
Yeah. And, no, he, I rem- and then he was in the dunk contest. I mean, look. But it's so impressive. Probably the best dunk contest of it, all It's time. so impressive that he was able to recreate himself, right? Because he was this freak yeah. athlete with raw talent. And then he becomes one of the, the longest NBA players ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he plays for multiple teams. He's like, you know, the consummate professional. So, yeah, I mean, for, for him, right, he didn't rely on that. He couldn't rely on that. The, probably the last decade of his career is just really impressive because you know how much work went into that last part of his career to keep mm-hmm. your body, you know, the diet, the you know, the preparation and so on and so forth. It's, it's amazing. Totally. So what's your primary role at the agency at this point? We know Rod, you know, is sort of focusing on commercial. What are you doing to drive things to the next decade for Urban Young? Yeah, man. So I, I lead uh, our personal lines team. So kind of the way that we're structured, our framework that we work out of is, um, you know, it's kind of like when you have two people owning something, you have nobody owning something. So we, uh, a couple years back, kind of, uh, you know, we're equal partners, Brett, myself and Rod. And so Rod's the vice president of commercial lines. So anything that has to do with running the commercial side of our business, Rod leads that. Um, and then I've always uh, done personal lines. So I, I lead our personal lines uh, efforts. So, um, you know, it's transitioned so much over the years. Obviously, I started in the business just like anybody, just learning it, taking service calls, quoting. You know, I was kind of like Brett's uh, Brett's assistant, man. Anything he needed, I did because he was the only one with any experience and he didn't have much experience. So um, kind of transitioned to selling myself and then ultimately leading a team uh, and then really doubled down on referral marketing. And that was like my number one responsibility. Uh, and then we did a couple acquisitions. And for, for, for me, uh, the personal lines team, I, th- I think we're about uh, 22, 23 people at this point, um, a couple different markets. And so, um, incredible, incredible team. So I'm kind of charged with, um, you know, leading all the customer experience efforts along with the marketing and, and sales efforts. And, and we just believe strongly in decentralized leadership. Um, two best leadership books I've probably ever read are Extreme Ownership and Dichotomy of Leadership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. If, if you haven't read those or heard of those, um, but just w- very fortunate to have, you know, people in spots on my team that are uh, high level of ownership, making decisions on the ground uh, in the different markets. So I'm really doing my best to give those people uh, support, whether that be marketing support or whether that be uh, lately, I've been in HubSpot more than more than I ever thought I would be, um, you know, creating workflows, trying to utilize automation and really us continue to drill down on our process activities and so forth. So the CRM has been a huge difference this year. Um, you know, we're one of those agencies that we just believe like we didn't have a sign until I think five years in, right. We're like, get business cards. We're like what business cards, man? Like, let's just go get a customer, right? That's just always how we've yeah. operated. And, and so now we're at a point where 11 years in and, and we're just getting a CRM and that's been a fun transition, but um, I'm just realizing it how bad and average we are at a lot of things. And there's so much opportunity to improve. So every time I take a closer look, um, you know, you, you dive more into what you can do. What's that been like for you guys? If you've, as you've been implementing HubSpot, I, I completely forgot when we were talking to Rod earlier that you, you all, y'all had made that move. Yep. That's a lot to bite off coming from somebody who's been there, done that before. And you're, are you doing it in house or are you guys relying on some of this stuff from Mick? Yeah. Mick's helped a lot specifically on the commercial side, Uh, mostly on the personal line side, other than Mick helping us get started. um, I've kind of taken, taken ownership of it, 
tinkered and have zoom meetings and I've made good progress and, 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 but man, I, it, you know how robust that system is, right? I know more yeah. about what I don't know about it than what I do. <laughs> um, you know, but it's been something, you know, it's interesting, the CRM thing, when you talk about backcasting, right, we bring that up, you know, we left that one city world tour in January and we said, you know what, we're going to do one thing at least, and we're going to execute like crazy. Um, and along, you know, Rod diving into killing commercial and working so much with you and grateful for that. The CRM was a part of that because we looked ahead and we said, what are these people doing that we want to do, that we want to be like, that we want to model in our own unique way? And, you know, it was like, they, they work with CRMs, you know, this is, this, this is what they recommend. And so we re- talk about the illusion of choice. I mean, that's not a project or expense where I feel like is ever convenient to take on, but it was almost <laughs> no, like, not. you know, a, but we didn't have a choice. Right. So um, that this year has been heavy in HubSpot and kind of taking what we do and slowly transitioning it to where it gets in a HubSpot. So that's a big part of my role right now. And, Again, you know, my marketing efforts as far as with mortgage brokers and realtors and so on and so forth will will ever be remaining. But our team leads have taken a lot of that responsibility in their particular markets too. What's been the most rewarding thing for you over the past 11 years? The partnership, man. You know, the the, the journey, the, the little milestones. I mean, I could get emotional talking about it. You know, we started from scratch in 2011 with with nothing, man. I mean, and when I say nothing, it's not like money, you know, money comes and goes, it's pretty available, you know, if you figure out how to find it, but uh, it's, it was just no experience, man. We had never really, uh, I'm just so proud of that. I'm just so proud of that. The most rewarding thing is that we're just, we're still here and we're, we're, we're still breathing. So, you know, these, these little moments is funny. We, we actually were able to, you know, purchase our first piece of commercial real estate yesterday and we closed and, Oh, um, nice. Congratulations. There you go. Man. Yeah. Thank you, man. And it was just one of those things that we're moving a mile a minute and we almost didn't celebrate together. Right. It was almost one of those things where we <laughs> signed the docs and we're ready to go home to our respective families because we're just in that mode. Right. And it's not a big deal. And, you know, Rod was like, man, let's go, let's go have a drink. So we just stopped and went to have a drink and just, you know, spend an hour together and just, just one of those wins that you just stop and smell the roses that amongst all the shit, and all the journey, you know, that these little wins and moments like that, that I get to have with, you know, Brett and Rod as my partners and, and our other team that I would consider partners. So that's been the most rewarding for sure, Kyle. Nice. I think that's important too, man. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you you recognized it and you stopped and you celebrated it because I think that you're 100% right. We get so focused with our blinders on and just pushing forward to do the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's okay to stop and celebrate. You know, I've always, I've always been a big proponent. If you're a producer to set the reward that you want to achieve. Right. Mm -hmm. When I got, when I, when I, when my book passed a million in revenue, I told myself I was going to buy, I I wanted a nice watch. Yep. Okay. Okay. And I knew what it was. I visualized it every single day. You know, what I, you know, what outfits I was going to wear it with. And I know this sounds corny, man, but if, if people think it's corny, please keep thinking that because it's worked out really well for me. And I hope you're never my competition if you think the way I do. But, you know, I visualized it every single day. What, what jacket would I wear it with? You know, would people notice whatever else? And when my book hit a million dollars, 
I went out and I bought myself the watch that I had wanted because it was not about the money. It was about achieving something. And that was the way that I celebrated it. But what I think we all need to do a better job of is what you just said. When you collectively win as a group, when you collectively win as a team, we need to make sure we celebrate those milestones too. Something that's not a big deal to me could be a huge deal to somebody else that's on my team, right? Maybe somebody writes their first policy today and it's for $1,200. I don't know what you can sell for $1,200 in Florida right now, but umbrella. Know, yeah, <laughs> seriously. May, may, they, they sell something for $1,200. I could be like, well, that, you know, that's great, nice, or whatever. Or you could actually celebrate that and pump that person up and breed more of that and push them to take that from 1200 to 2400 mm-hmm. to 4800 right and i think that if you don't stop in 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 formalize that celebration you're missing a great opportunity to make your team better one of the things that i've always done um is if a, a producer writes an account that's 10,000 or more in revenue i will buy them a custom suit and <laughs> I wish I could tell you there was science to it. There's not. The reason I do that is because it's what I did. When I first got into the industry, I was like you. I I, I, I had come out of retail. I mean, I had all kinds of red and khaki. I could have I worn <laughs> my Target uniforms to work every day, but I didn't have nice suits. I didn't have nice dress clothes, and it wasn't something that I was going to spend a bunch of money on when I was working at Target because there was really no reason for me to have it or, or wear that stuff. But I literally would had like one white dress shirt, one plain black Kenneth Cole suit. I mean, I'll never forget it. And that's what I wore all the time. And I told myself, every time I close a new piece of business, I'm going to go out and that's that's 10,000 or more in revenue. I'm going to buy myself a new suit. Had a guy in my leads group that was a tailor, had a package, $9.99, you got a suit, three shirts, and two ties, or a sport coat, two pants, two shirts, and two ties. And I alternated back and forth. But every time I closed a piece of business, that's what I did. And I enjoyed that process. I loved him coming into the office with all his fabric samples so everybody could see that I was getting ready to get this. And I loved it even more when he actually delivered the stuff when it was finished. And because I enjoyed that and that was the reward, I tended to replicate that behavior over and over and over again. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting here with 20 custom suits in my closet. Now I have way more clothes than I'll ever need. So I had to change my focus and do something else. But, you know, I think that I think that we it's it's okay to want stuff, man. It's okay to reward yourself with stuff because to me, you know, money's not the same, you know, the. I, I could I could save the same amount. I could save the money that I used to buy the watch. But now every time I look at what time it is, I know I, I know why I it have represents that something. It re- it represents the work that you put in. I mean, the Bingo. money that just sits sits in the bank. Obviously, you know that's a good thing too. But it's not it's not, it's not rewarding. Yeah, hundred percent. Pro- I, I think it's yeah. I think it's indications of progress. Giving yourself permission. I think more than you know, the suit, it's how they see themselves wearing a custom suit. You know, I think that's a great thing that you do. I remember, you know, we did that for our 10 year anniversary. Uh, we, uh, our wives set it up and we all had this ceremony and we, we ended up getting custom suits and, 
you know, we nice. engraved them with, with see it through on the collar, because that's always been our saying as far as from the start, just see this thing through. Um, and it means a ton. Every time I wear that suit, I think about, you know, all that stuff that you just mentioned. So I, I really dig that. Absolutely. Well, we're coming up close to being on our hour. What have we missed? Kyle, what have I missed? Um, I, the one question I was going to ask you, just like we asked Rod was just a piece of advice for, um, you know, somebody who's, who's newer, um, or, or maybe thinking about getting into insurance, what would your best piece of advice? Cause I mean, you just told everybody you came right out of college and you were young and, you know, didn't really know much of anything. So I'm, I'm sure your perspective on this is pretty unique. Yeah, man. And obviously it comes from, from somebody who's still, still learning a ton, man. So there's, there's no essence of arrival within our walls. I mean, like I said, you know, we, we're learning new things every day. I think when I look back at our journey and the way I came into the business uniquely is just, you know, this is an opinion. I always just see people in our space. I do personal lines and um, I, I just believe there's value in being a marketer before a sales professional. Um, and what we do is that I feel like the elite agents within our walls or that I look around with to try to model are the people that, that have a marketing focus first um, and then a sales professional hat second. Um, and both are important, but you know, I think get out there and market, right? Like we do, I mean, we're organically, we're out there in BNI groups and chamber events and just shaking hands and just getting that so ingrained, making dials, right? Getting a little bit uncomfortable. I just find that the people that come into the industry and they, they want to learn, it's important to learn about your craft. That's just, that's part of it. You know, that's, that's kind of like playing the sport. Yeah. You play basketball, you, you got to be good at basketball, right? But that may not be the difference between you being a good player and an elite player. Um, and I just view that the same in, in the industry as it come in, it's, yeah, is it important to be a good agent? Of course, you know, there's, uh, times and David's one of those agents that, you know, he's whipped us on a few accounts because he's way more technically a sound than we were at that time and continue to be. But at the same time, I think from across the board as a newer professional or new agent coming in is, is get out there and meet people, you know, and, and do the marketing thing relentlessly and kind of fill that bucket of capacity while you're working on becoming a better agent. And I think that's something Rod's mentorship really helped us in regards to our early days because he came from a referral marketing background and we were just relentless. You know, it was like, yeah, did agents go out there and talk to mortgage brokers and real estate? Is that super unique? No. I mean, everyone does that. Right. But we did it relentlessly. And that was yeah, the that, number that's the one difference priority. Is you continue to do it and you do it with intensity. Yeah. Right. It's, and, and it's it's at the top of the priority. Right. So me getting some accounts and working on them shouldn't take away me marketing that day. Right. No, me marketing that day has got to happen. That's the priority. And oh, by the way, I can fit these other calls and process business around that. And I think new producers, man, if you can just do one thing is is just just make non-negotiables and just do those things and everything else can you know figure it out. And in personal lines for me, I just believe marketing. I, I just believe marketing, marketing, marketing. Um, and, you know, and we have support positions that can help you be an agent and, and can help you close that business. But the unique, I just believe the two highest paid skill sets are leadership and marketing. And, you know, we try to develop and recruit and attract those type of people that dig that. And there's spots for people that don't, but th I guess that would be my long winded advice for somebody new getting into the business that wants to do big things is that marketing aspect's huge. There you have it, people. 
Yep, absolutely. Well, listen, Taylor, really appreciate you taking time to come out today. I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. I'm not even going to lie. Part of that's because my lunch has been sitting in the microwave for the last 45 minutes and I'm hungry. So. I'm so hungry. What are you eating it's today, the- man? Healthy choice. Whatever the Ooh, flavor of the day, healthy yum. choice is. Somehow we went from planning our meals and having enough leftovers of a well-prepared meal to Publix ran healthy choice, low-carb, low-sodium meals, and it's so much easier for Annie. So I don't complain about it, but they are only 100 calories. So Oof. I told her that are 190 calories for one of those meals. I told her, I'm like, I'm going to have to eat three of these things every yeah, day. What is, to it? Get my, is it air? Get my calories in. <laughs> Dude, I'm down 25 pounds doing it, yeah, so man. I'm good with that. You know, you. I was going to ask you, man. You look good. Speaking of that wardrobe, no wonder you have that ridiculous wardrobe. How many 10,000 in revenue accounts you closed? But mm-hmm. um, no, good for you, man. That's That's great. You look great. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate it. Everybody else. Thanks for tuning in. He has been Taylor Young from Urban Young. And his goal in life is to be extraordinary, just like everybody else that works over there. You've heard from Brett. You've heard from Rod. You've heard from Taylor. Enrique, I'm calling you out, bro. Come get in the ring. We're ready for you. We want to hear some of that South Florida vibe and what you're doing to open up the door and commercial accounts down there. He'll be the next one from Urban Young we have on. Everybody will catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.